Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue to study the book of Romans, I just pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to your wonderful truth found in this book. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace this truth, rest upon it, rely on it, and use it in our lives as well as to the ministry of others. In Jesus' name, amen. We had some recording difficulties last week, so for the benefit of our listeners on Sermon Audio that listen every week, I want to give a brief outline of what we covered the previous week, and I also think that it helps us since we're on the same question that Paul poses in Romans chapter 9. And if you recall, I have been preaching through some of the points that John Stott makes in his commentary on the book of Romans in chapter 9. And Stott makes this comment that there are three questions that Paul poses to the readers of the book of Romans regarding the doctrine of predestination, also the theodicy of God, Is God just in the character of God and in how he operates in the world? And the first question that Stott brings up in the commentary is, are God's promises void? And he makes that question in context with the Jews. Because remember, Romans 1 through 8, he preaches on man's sinfulness and the need for salvation. And in 8, he covers the doctrine of predestination. And then here we find ourselves in 9, as he anticipates the reader would say, well, what about the Jews? Because the Jews were the chosen people of God, and yet the vast majority of them rejected Jesus Christ. And so that first question, are the promises of God void? You see that in Romans 9, 6, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, or are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. And I went on and preached through those verses, and I made mention that there's a spiritual Israel and there's a physical Israel. And so, yes, the promises of God are good and true and can be relied upon. The next question that Paul poses is, is God unjust? And you see that in verse 14 of Romans 9. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And that leads us to our initial study of this third question, which we covered last week. Why does God still blame us? If God chooses, then the natural progression is, is then why does he find fault? 
And if you look at verse 19 of Romans 9, Paul poses this question this way. He says, will you say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? This idea of questioning God, and as Paul uses this analogy of the clay questioning the potter, it is a wonderful illustration And unfortunately, we find this too often with the natural man. Because the natural man would in some ways like to tarnish God or totally discredit God so that they can justify their own life. Because if you think about the difference between the saved person and the lost person, The saved person is relying upon the blood of Jesus Christ for their justification. For their way to stand before a holy and righteous God and be just. The natural man would is after a self-justification. In other words, as I've said many times before, if you and I were to leave church this morning and we would go door knocking... And if you ask every single person that answered their door, why would a holy and righteous God allow you into his kingdom? Every single person would have an answer. And that answer, apart from Jesus Christ, that answer would be their way of self-justification. The natural man is trying to find a way to where they can justify themselves. And of course, as I've mentioned before, Typically, that bar's pretty low because if you ask a lot of people that question that don't know the Lord, their typical response is, well, I haven't murdered anyone, nor have I stolen anything. That's the only reason. That's their self-justification. I'm a fairly moral person, so therefore God is going to let me into his heaven. The natural man is looking for a way to discredit God. The clay is questioning the potter. And last week I mentioned a couple of verses in Isaiah, and I want to read again Isaiah 29, 16, which points to this same concept of the clay questioning the potter. Isaiah 29, 16 says, Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, He did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding. But that's the environment that we find ourselves in today. There's no fear of the Lord. There's no acknowledgement of the Lord in most cases in our society. The world is going around and they're not afraid of God at all. There's no respect And unfortunately, in our liberal churches, we have taken away the majesty of God out of the worship service in so many churches. 
I was telling someone before the service, we haven't had Lord's Supper in a couple of weeks because I had made a mistake in ordering the cups. The cups that were sent to me were these little plastic go cups already pre-filled with juice and they have a little plastic tab. And I don't know if you've been to these churches before, but it's like grab and go in the back of the church. You know, you have service and then if you want to have Lord's Supper on the way out, just grab the little to-go juice and the little pre-packaged bread and bingo, you're good. There's no majesty in that. There's no reverence in that. And our churches are missing reverence. And I believe that it's just points to this overall idea of losing the majesty of God, not only in, in society in which we find ourselves, but unfortunately also into the church. The reverence, the majesty has been gone because man has continued to try to put God on his own level. But I've got news for you, my friends, because you can turn to Revelation and you can see when God reveals to John the way the end of the world is going to work out. And when he first sees Jesus Christ and all of his splendor and all of his majesty, what does John do? He falls down as if he were dead. There is a majesty. There's a regalness with the Lord. And unfortunately, the natural man either does not acknowledge God or he creates his own image of God in which he finds himself acceptable. So we're still on that question. Why does God blame us? Let's look at our passage again. What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now, let me kind of give you a roadmap over the next several Sundays. Today is the vessels of wrath. The vessels of wrath. Next Sunday is the vessels of mercy. And then we're going to put it all together. And in order to do this, I want to first bring up a point that Martin Lloyd-Jones makes in his sermon on these particular verses. He makes this point. If you look at verse 22, let's look at it again. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Now let's talk about that. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. You notice in that verse that Paul doesn't say who prepared the vessels of wrath. It doesn't say. We'll get to that in a moment. And then when you look at verse 23... Regarding the vessels of mercy, in verse 23, it says the vessels of mercy, which he had, referring to God, he had prepared beforehand for glory. And this is an extremely important point as we look at this question, why does God blame mankind? It's a very important point. Vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy, vessels of mercy were prepared beforehand for glory Who prepares vessels of wrath? Is it God? 
Well, absolutely not. He's created mankind, but who turns a vessel of mankind into a vessel of wrath? It's man himself. It's man himself. Let me read you a verse that we've already studied, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, in Romans 5.12, it says, just as through one man's sin entered the world. Of course, naturally, they're referring to Adam. And Adam is the federal head of all of mankind. And what that means from a theological perspective is, is Adam is man's representative. And so when you think about Adam being man's representative in verse 12 of Romans 5 that I just read, just as through one man, Adam... Sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam is the representative. He represents all mankind. And in representing all mankind, we could look at Adam and say, well, Adam did that, but if that was me, I wouldn't have done that. No, that's not true. We would have all done it. Because Adam is the representative for all mankind. It means that we would have all chosen the lie and we would have chosen sin. It could have been Adam. It could have been me. It could have been you. It could have been your neighbor. Whoever you put in that spot, standing there and making a decision whether or not they would believe the lie of the devil or stay obedient to the Lord, we would have all fallen and we would have all chosen the lie. People who don't want to accept the doctrine of predestination, they get all riled up because they go, well, you don't believe in free will. You don't believe in free will. And I've had countless arguments of people who have the view of Arminianism and the fact that Man chooses to be saved. But when you truly look at the scripture, you do not see that anywhere in the scripture. And you can talk about free will. And and I do believe in free will. The free will that I believe in is that apart from God, we would all choose sin. Apart from God, we would all choose sin. Even our salvation experience is a gift. And that's what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Why are you here today? Why am I here? Why did you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ somewhere in your lifetime? It's not because of your works. It's not because of your morality. It's not because of your righteousness. It is because God gave you a gift. A gift. Free will is is that the natural man does not choose God. The natural man chooses sin. But when you get to talking to people about this question, why does God still blame us? The natural man always wants to put God on trial. They always want to make God come away with a 
character that is not holy. They want to self-justify. They don't want to put themselves on trial because they know their deeds are evil. Take a look at John chapter 3, verse 18. John 3, 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's why the natural man doesn't choose God. That's why they are a vessel of wrath. They are a vessel of wrath because man in his own free will will choose sin. Man in his own free will will come up with some kind of system that they find themselves acceptable other than submitting to the word of God. You see it most poignantly, and Paul already talked about this earlier in the chapter with Pharaoh. Think about Pharaoh. Look at all of the acts of God that Pharaoh witnessed through the plagues. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Was it enough for Pharaoh to come to a knowledge of God? Absolutely not. There were times where he had feigned a little sorrow, but he never would acknowledge God. The natural man always chooses sin. They are wrath of vessels. Because their deeds are evil and they love darkness more than light. This tells us who mankind is. And quite frankly, if we were honest with ourselves and we looked out in society today and as we look at the decay of society that's going on and we look at how cheap life is in every component of society, You have it right now as you look at the destruction in Ukraine where life is considered cheap and people's homes and lives are destroyed. You see it in this country as we slaughter the unborn year after year after year. It's the evilness of mankind. Why should we be surprised when Paul in Romans chapter 9 calls mankind apart from Christ as vessels of wrath. They're vessels of wrath because their deeds are evil. This tells us what we need to know about mankind apart from Christ. But what do these verses tell us about God? If you get in a discussion with people that don't know the Lord and you start talking about the God of the Bible... People a lot of times will tell you, well, I don't believe in a God of wrath. I don't believe in a God of wrath, so therefore I'm going to discredit the Bible. They want to paint this picture of this angry God that is ready to just banish all of mankind. And 
Instead of putting themselves on trial, they want to put God on trial. Well, let's look and see what these verses tell us about God himself. Back to our focal passage, Romans 9, verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. What does that tell us about God? He is a God who endures with long-suffering. And when you think about it, let's go back to creation. As God created a world in perfection, as He puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he makes them good and he gives them just this one thing, right? Don't eat of this tree. Just one thing. Not a lot of stuff. Just this one. Don't do that. And of course, Adam and Eve chose sin over God. Could God in his righteousness and in his holiness just said, I'm done and destroyed everything? He could have, couldn't he? It would have been his right. He's holy. Adam and Eve chose sin. He could have just wiped the slate clean. Or how about we visit Mount Sinai? Moses is up. Conversing with God, receiving the Ten Commandments. God had just delivered all of the Hebrews out of slavery and bondage and delivered them. They're on the cusp of going into the promised land. And what do the Hebrews do? The Hebrews choose sin. The Hebrews are down making a golden calf. Could have God in his power right then just destroyed all of the Hebrews, all of mankind? He could have. It would have been in his right. Or how about we fast forward and we find ourselves at the foot of the cross where humanity is crucifying God's Son. Could he at that point poured out his wrath, not on Christ, but upon us and condemned all of mankind and wiped the slate clean? Absolutely. He didn't do any of that, did he? Everybody wants to put God on trial for wrath. But the truth of the matter is, is that God's long-suffering. He's long-suffering. Let me point out a couple of verses in that regard. First, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30. He said, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. 
cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. God doesn't have any pleasure in causing the death of a person. He reiterates this point later on in the same book, Ezekiel 33, verse 10. He says, Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked turn from his way and live Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Here in the Old Testament, which is, by the way, what people love to pick on. The God of the Old Testament. The God of Old Testament is is a God of wrath. No, the God of the Old Testament is a God of long-suffering. He long-suffered with a people that continually denied him. A people that he had chosen. A people that he had delivered. But yet they chose sin time after time. God isn't a God of wrath in the Old Testament. He's a God of love and long-suffering. But we also see that God's a God of love and long-suffering in the New Testament. Turn with me to 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their lust. Now, let's stop right there. I happen to believe that we're living in the last days. I happen to believe that. Now, I don't know if it can go on 100 more years, 50 more years, or 5 more years, but I believe that we are living at the end of times. And here it tells us that at the end of times there will be scoffers. And then he's about to tell us what the scoffers will say. In verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Doesn't that sound familiar? People say, well, you worship a God, but you don't see any miracles. God hasn't acted. They'll accuse him of being asleep. They'll accuse him of being non-existent. That somehow this thing that we do on Sunday is just something made up by a bunch of guys. That's common in the society that we find ourselves in. But then Peter reminds us in verse 5 of 2 Peter 3, For this they willfully forget, that the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, what he's saying is, is don't forget, There, there is a day. There is a day coming. And then he goes on in verse 8 and says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, 
that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. There's that word again. But is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering. In all since the cross, he has been redeeming mankind, calling his chosen people to himself, and he has been enduring, enduring the vessels of wrath. God is a long-suffering God. So next Sunday, we'll do vessels of mercy. Vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy, and then the following Sunday, we're going to put it all together. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that through our salvation that you give us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit where we can understand it, that we can grasp it, that we can walk in it. And I pray, Lord, that we would rest in your power and we would rest in your truth. I pray if there's someone listening today who has never given their life to you, that today they would submit to your Lordship, that ask for forgiveness of their sins. They would turn from their sins and recognize you as their Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.